This is Tony Metro. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. With that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. So I really don't have a joke to start this one, but I'm going to tell you right now, if uh, I see that BK's Have It Your Way commercial one more time, I am going to put a bullet through my TV. Jesus fucking Christ, okay? Nobody voluntarily goes to Burger King. Let's be real for a second. But either way, episode five of the Mets Weekly Podcast. Mets fans, welcome to 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty. Let's go roll the intro. Now, before we begin, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already for daily content, including videos, live streams, and shorts. Also, make sure to follow our new Twitter account, follow us on TikTok, along with all of our individual links that are all in the YouTube description. So, an eventful week in New York Mets land. Uh, Frank, I'll just start with you off the top of your head. How are you feeling right now? Quite the... Uh, series of events. Yes, it's quite the series of events. The emotional roller coaster is over, but not in the way I was hoping. Uh, we had just spent so much time, almost three weeks, stressing about is Craig going to be a Met? Is Craig not going to be a Met? Turns out he's not going to be a Met, going back to the Minnesota Twins. And it's just very frustrating because of just everything that was invested in him, more so publicly. You know, what Steve Cohen had to say about, oh, you know, Craig is the guy we really wanted. He takes our team to the next level, he's that big bat. And that's the way that all of us have felt all offseason long. We say, you know, the Mets could really use that one more big bat to bat behind Pete Alonso. Carlos Correa was the guy that came to mind, looked like they had him, and now they don't. And now they're pretty much stuck with the lineup that they had last year. I mean, you see all these, some of these other hitters flying off the board. We like Trey Mancini. He's not there anymore either. So the Mets, for the most part, just kind of stuck with the lineup that they had, which that lineup wasn't good enough last year. So it really seems like they're just going to kind of count on somehow these guys improving, counting on the young guys to really step up because as of right now, how else are they going to have improvement as far as scoring runs? I am pissed off. That sucked. The entire saga was a huge kick in the nuts to think that the Mets stole Correa out of thin air from the San Francisco Giants in the middle of the night only for it to turn into the most Mets-like type of situation that we've seen in a long time. 19 days of, he's close, he's not close. They heard another thing about the medical. No, actually, weight sources are telling me he's close. It was so infuriating. So that in itself sucked. But not getting Correa sucks even more. Because as Frank said, this is basically the same offense as last year. And now you're putting all kinds of pressure on Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez to immediately impact this team. Unfair expectations being placed on these guys, which they already had entering this season. Now even more magnified, in my opinion. And it's just frustrating because even Steve Cohen himself said, we needed one more piece and this was it. 
and now they don't have that piece. And instead of quickly pivoting and getting Trey Mancini, or even to a lesser extent, a guy like Andrew McCutcheon or Adam Duvall, who is still available, I'm not holding my breath on that one. They've done nothing. They've done nothing to change this offense. Darren Ruff is still on this roster. How is that possible? How is it possible that Darren Ruff is still on this roster? You know how I feel about Daniel Vogelback. I really like Mark Canna. I think the fan base is split on him. I think he would be a great fourth outfielder had Duvall been signed, had Correa been involved, taking some starts away from Canna in some fashion. I don't know. But with Canna as your starting left fielder, with Eduardo Escobar, who had three really bad months and two good months last year, there's a lot of question marks in this lineup. And especially when we're talking about in a very small window to thrive and succeed given the age of the two aces in the starting rotation this was the time to strike when the iron was hot i would have taken the risk i would have taken the risk i would have went all in this is just like last year's deadline in my opinion where the mets did not enough to put them over the top and it's an incomplete roster right and what's also frustrating about you talk about the team from last year is that escobar is year older Canna's a year older, Marte's a year older. So all those guys, I mean, with the way it goes, they could all be a year worse. And Marte, he was an important part of the team, had so many injuries down the last half of the season. And now, I mean, when you get older, you become even more susceptible to injuries. So, I mean, Darren Ruff, he's a year older as well. So, I mean, he's probably going to be even worse if, if he is still in the lineup, which, I mean, we're now January, middle of January, he's still here. Unless they do a Jason McCann situation, but they give him away for literally nothing. I mean, what else are they going to do? I think they still, like we've talked about so many times, the bench is still all over the place. There's just a lot of things that just don't really look like a championship team. Like a team that, like we've said before, has spent this much money should look more complete than this team does. I think that's something that's really concerning. It's like you've spent so much, but yet you still have these glaring weaknesses. So I, I just don't exactly know how they're going to go about it. They still have a few questions that need to be answered if they're really going to be a team that's, you know, going all in, as they say, because they say they're going all in. But then, like we've said, it just seems like they, they say that one more big piece, but then they don't get it. You know, it's just like, are you all in or are you like 75 percent of the way? I should have just pivoted right to Correa going to the Twins because I, I just <laughs> I think we just jumped right into it before even like talking about it in general so let me just let me get the information out of the way for those who don't know or we're not keeping up tabs with it but if you're a Mets fan you probably were the 20-day long saga is finally over but we definitely did not get what we wanted to Carlos Correa has re-signed with the Minnesota Twins for six years 200 million dollars after the negotiations with the Mets fell through the Mets reportedly offered the same value of his initial 12-year 315 million dollar contract but with man mandatory physicals before each of the last six years of the deal, including less guaranteed money. The Mets apparently had a massive problem with Correa's ankle due to the physical, and it was a long-term problem, and they were unable to reach an agreement. Just as Tony said, I would have took, taken the risk here. And again, this is just something that I've preached for so long, is that they're here to win now, and what were the other options there? There really aren't any. What's next? And we'll, we'll get into it. What's next? Adam Duvall, Tommy Pham. Like, that's not in any sort of way in the level of Carlos Correa as a player at all. Not even on the, the same stratosphere as him. From what we're hearing, once again, it's a long-term concern. I don't give a flying shit 
what happens in year seven of the contract. The Mets fans have waited for over 30 years for a championship. I don't care what happens in seven years. End of story. I mean, to add to the point you just made, you said seven years. He signed for six years. So we talk so much about this long-term concern. And the thing that frustrated me the most, it wasn't so much just they went to the Twins. It was that he went to the Twins for six years. So it's like you were worried about, oh, this if he had such a bad angle, this is going to be one of those bad contracts that year, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, he was giving you nothing. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is such a waste of you know long-term flexibility and all those other things. Like, you signed Nemo for eight, but you wouldn't sign Correa for six? It, it's like that just doesn't really make sense to me. It, it's just whole very, very confusing the way how the negotiations went where that even if the Twins, if the Twins gave him the 12 years, whatever, all the guaranteed, blah, 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 no physicals, whatever else they needed to give him to get the deal done, okay. But for six years, I mean, it, it's just very crazy to me that two teams would pass up, one team would say, okay, fine, we'll take it. Like, the Mets needed Correa more than the Twins needed Correa because the Twins already had Correa. They weren't very good. They didn't even make the playoffs. They stink. The, the Twins, with Correa, without Correa, are not going anywhere. Nowhere. But the Mets, it's like, okay, Correa was a piece that could have gotten you to the World Series. He could have at least gotten you out of the wild card round this time. So, like, the Mets had to make this move, and it becomes even more appealing if you can get for six years, even if it had to be seven, whatever. Like, I, I just don't understand how the deal got cut in half and he goes to another team. That is just so crazy to me. It's like Correa, by all indications, may look like he wanted to be a Met, but, I mean, it looks like the Mets didn't really want him after all. I mean, if they wanted him that bad, they would have took this. What really frustrated me is all the aftermath now of the Mets saw this. No, the Mets saw that. Like, it has been so annoying to hear the different things. And I understand the potential, uh, you know, risk that came with Cray. Like I saw a report that came out that the Mets were concerned that if he needed surgery on this ankle, it was so bad that the surgery would have been just for him to live a normal life were the words that I read. I don't believe it was that bad, but obviously the Mets have a, have a series of doctors, a, a number of doctors that have looked at this. Like you said, Mets fan, what frustrates me is the Mets have not won a world series in over 30 years i am 28 years old i am ready for them to go all in and win a world series mets have the luxury of steve cohen's pocketbook that a bad deal like this can be wiped away and overlooked no matter how expensive it is and i would have taken the risk and hoped these first three to four years with correa would have put them over the top, especially, like I said earlier, with the age of this rotation, Max Scherzer and uh, Justin Verlander, I would have taken that risk because I just want hardware on my finger. I have not experienced it, and instead, it became LOL Mets again, and it's very frustrating. And I'm sorry, if Darren Ruff is on this roster, I'm going to go Frank the Tank on you right here. If Darren Ruff is on this roster, 100 losses, everybody's getting hurt. It's, it's not going to be that bad, but it's going to be it, – it's a problem. The lineup is a problem right now, and the bench is not deep enough to make up for it. It is a problem. I've talked about this way too many times of them not finishing the job, and we talked about this last year where – they had a good team, but they needed some things to fill in to make it better. And at that trade deadline, they did absolutely nothing compared to the other teams that actually did something, got their team better, and passed us. I just am seeing it once again where they had only one option, 
and they just want to take the hard way out. What also makes me frustrated is how much they've just moved on from this scenario just just from now, short term, where the Mets don't look to be uh, full-on aggressive on finding a replacement, as from what we've heard, for a possibility of Carlos Correa, uh, of like something of that measure, whatever. Obviously, they're not going to get. From what you're seeing right now, it's okay. We have Eduardo Escobar. We have Brett Beatty. Ronnie Mauricio looks great in the, the Dominican League. He can play third base. No, you're telling me that any of these guys are actually comparable to the production you're going to get from a Carlos Correa in their prime? No, not at all. We made a video, me and Andrew talked about if the Mets can turn to Brett Beatty, because that's obviously the entire situation right now. What happened, happened. You can't reverse it. I'm not going to take a bet on the fact that, oh, Brett Beatty's going to break out at his major league level. Eduardo Escobar is going to have the September that he had every single month. I'm not going to guarantee that. There's no way that you can. And especially with all of the offensive upgrades that they've made, Omar Nervaez compared to Nito, so they went from a 70 bat to an 80 bat, great, and then Danny Mendick. That's it. That's all they've done. So you look at this right now and you're like, okay, why are we half-assing this again? They went so deep into pitching. I'm so glad that they did. They've made a great mixture of young, older, whatever, replaced what they needed to replace, upgraded what they needed to upgrade with pitching. But that doesn't do much for a team that had one hit in an elimination game. When you're looking at it right now, it looks like the Mets are ready to pack it up. They didn't, they're like, okay, Correa's a luxury. We don't need Correa. But if we could get Correa, it's nice. We don't get Correa. We're done. Season over. Let's just sign Adam Duvall, get Alex Reyes, and call it a fucking offseason. That's what I'm seeing right now, and hopefully that changes in the next 48, 72 hours. But that's what I'm seeing right now. That's how it feels. What's really pissed me off are this contingent of Mets fans on Twitter and social media saying, this is a really good team. They won 100 games last year. How could you be so down on the Mets after they won 100 games last year? Um, let me run through some of the reasons for you. They led the National League East for 90% of the season, only to choke away what was a 10.5 game lead at one point. They then got one hit in game three of that wild card series and scored one run in the first game of that series. Now, granted, did the pitching show up in the Atlanta series? No. Did they show up in the wild card series? No. But the offense was listless and bumbling for the entire final month of the season outside of Eduardo Escobar, who, like you said, is probably not going to have a repeat of that month for an entire five to six month season. It's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. We know that. That's fine. But there were upgrades out there still available even after Correa to improve this roster. And you're never going to replace Correa because that player wasn't out there. Not on free agent market, not in trade right now. But could you have upgraded this offense with minimal small moves like Trey Mancini, like Andrew McCutcheon potentially, like Adam Duvall, who again is still out there but haven't heard a lot about that because this is kind of what the Mets have done over the last year under Billy Epler. The Mets are interested in one, two, three, three different people. None of them end up signing with us because it drags on and on and on, and they end up going and getting a starting job elsewhere. I'm frustrated that Mets fans are going to rely on a 100-win season when they ended up choking away the division, getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs, and one of the biggest reasons for that was because this lineup 
could not show up when it mattered most. And the Braves have got better and the Phillies have gotten better. So what are you going to do, Mets? They've done nothing to the offense yet. And again, that was just the biggest frustrating point. Not even, you know, one like possible power bat, like a, a project power bat, like let's say take a bet on Miguel Sano, do something like that. They haven't done anything. They really have not done anything to this offense. The only thing that they have done is sub subtract James McCann. The Mets just have a whole set of leadoff hitters, like we said, no power protection for Pete. I'm sure that, you know, seeing the video of Daniel Vogelbach uh, warm up on Twitter, I'm sure that got everybody ramped up and said, oh, we don't need any help for Pete Alonzo. But no, they still do. Like we said, Darren Ruff is still on this roster. And again, Vogelbach is so exploitable when you face the teams that have three lefties in the bullpen, four lefties in the bullpen, and then Daniel Vogelbach, he's out of the game in the third inning. And the Mets still do not have that lefty killer on this team that they could actually trust as a DH bat against lefties, as a pinch hitter against a big-time lefty. They still do not have that bat. That was why they brought in Darren Ruff in the first place. It was why they called on Mark Vientos. And neither one of those things have worked out, and both those guys are still on this team. Correa would have solved so many issues, not just the fact of killing a third base graveyard or adding some star power to this roster, adding a bat that you really do need, but it made so many other pieces expendable. And you could have moved those pieces to create other pieces and address other pieces on your roster. Escobar was expendable. If you bring in Carlos Correa, maybe Escobar could have got you two relief. Maybe Escobar could have got you a Trevor Williams type of type of arm. We're never going to know. And then that is going to be at this moment. It's the same roster. So that one move of Carlos Correa that they did not do, they did not add him after a 20 day saga of us getting jerked off like this the whole goddamn time. They have zero advantages on other pieces that they can have on this that they have on this roster that they can move for to address other parts of this roster and make it a deeper and more flexible and more versatile team. Not only did they screw up with one free agent that they definitely needed on this roster, they screwed up for the rest of this roster construction. And listen, I'm not going to say that Carlos Correa's ankle is perfect. And Carlos Correa is going to be healthy for his entire contract. Like Tony just said, you have this flexibility where you can take this risk and you can give him this long-term contract. Steve Cohen's a, a, a negotiator, whatever. He's not going to act as desperate. Mets fans are desperate right now. We are desperate. We haven't won a World Series since 1986. If you want to win your World Series in three to five years, this was the move that you had to make. And sure, there's obviously free agents down the line that could also help that but you set this two to three year time frame of justin verlander and max scherzer and you're just going to waste it away with the same offense and the same roster that you have in a lineup that once again one hit in an elimination game we cannot stress this enough one hit one hit in an elimination game just keep repeating ourselves and that's the same lineup you have right now so as we do pivot 
past the Carlos Correa saga that was basically put the Mets' entire offseason on pause. Towards the end of the Correa negotiations, the Mets internally discussed the strong possibility of Manny Machado becoming a free agent next offseason. Machado signed a 10-year, $300 million contract with the Padres during the 2018 offseason, which included an opt-out after the fifth year, which has been heavily rumored that he will exercise it. Machado has also acknowledged Buck Showalter as one of his favorite managers to play for countless times before. Definitely a connection to look out for. Machado is now 30 years old, coming off of a career year, finishing second in the NL MVP race behind Paul Goldschmidt. I said in the beginning I am pissed off and this pissed me off even more because when I heard almost immediately after the Correa deal fell through that they were considering a potential deal for Machado in the future, his free agency, that really irritated me. That they're concerned about his ankle and then trying to pivot it and pointed out that, oh, well, Machado's a free agent next year. Well, Machado's 30 right now. He'll turn 31 in July. And then that means next year, if he does opt out and sign with signs with a new team, he will have spent more than half of his first season with that new team as a 32-year-old. So you're telling me we're getting hyped over potentially signing Manny Machado a year from now? Potentially, by the way, only if he opts out. When he'll be 32 and over for the majority of whatever new contract he signs. I'm sorry. Machado is still playing at a great level. I have no doubt about it. I am not looking at this with any type of rose-colored glasses after falling through with Correa. This was bullshit. This was a bullshit way to try to appease the fans for not signing Correa. And it really irritated me because, again, we don't know if Machado is even going to opt out. Number one. Number two, I am not focused on next year. I am trying to win a World Series right now with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander under contract. Who knows how long they're going to last? We know Scherzer is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Verlander's arm could fall off tomorrow. He's 40 years old. This was the time to strike, and you're telling me I need to get hyped about a potential free agent who will be 32 and over for the majority of whatever next contract he signs, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't even want to hear about it. I don't want to hear a word about it. I think this puts, like Tony talked about in the beginning, even more pressure on Brett Beatty because I think it's going to turn into one of those things where if Beatty is not getting the job done, is not putting up big numbers and being a very productive third baseman on both ends of the ball, because don't forget how well Machado is defensively too, Met fans are going to be like, oh, you know, Machado. I mean, they're doing it now. Machado and Otani next year. You know, Machado this, Machado that. And that's all you're going to hear all all over the place. That's all people are going to be talking about. It's just going to be one of those lingering things that is just kind of, you know, hanging over the Mets' heads. So I just think that all it does is just add more pressure to Brett Beatty. Uh, if Beatty has another, you know, kind of lackluster season where – He's pretty good, but not, you know, elite, not a Machado-level player, guy that's a seven-win player. If he's not getting that done, uh, what other alternatives do you have? Because it's like we talked about when the Mets didn't sign Correa, you're looking at all these other old guys who aren't very good. Machado, he'll be older, but he's still way better than all these other guys we were talking about, your Adam Duvall's, your Tommy Fams, your McCutcheons, all these other guys. Machado's way better than all of them. 
And he's a guy, you know, we talked about with Correa, but great against left-handed pitching. He'd be a perfect bat to put behind Pete Alonso. So he would do a lot of things that Correa could have done, and his ankle apparently works. I guess we'll find out, you know, because nobody knows until you actually sign whether anybody's ankle is good or not. So, you know, will the Mets find an excuse for why they can't get Machawi? The mail be his back or something. So, like Tony said, I don't want to put a guarantee on anything. Well, I think this does just add more pressure on Beatty because it's just going to be something that's going to be talked about all the time. You know, people are going to be making their Photoshop pictures and things like that. Just, you know, oh, Machado next year, Machado this, Machado that. It's just going to add more drama than they already needed. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But like we said, it's a next year problem. Let's see what happens this year. Let, let's see your plan, Billy. I mean, show me what you could do this year, and then we could revisit the Machado discussion next year. This is my problem with this whole situation. It's that the fact that, yes, they're looking at Machado, and this was discussed internally within the Mets front office, and that makes me feel that they're done this offseason. That's how that makes me feel, that they said that, okay, well, we didn't get Correa. Let's try again next year. What you're saying is that, okay, well, we're going to be the same team that we did next year offensively, right? You know, maybe a few better pitching additions. We're going to win, you know, all the games we win, we're going to win two to one. Three to two. Okay, great. This team, offensively, obviously, like we said, did not do well in the postseason. They did not do well in September baseball when it just when it mattered. So what I'm seeing right now is that the Mets are done. They're looking at Manny Machado. We're also hearing the possibility of Shohei Otani, of course, the whole connection with uh, Billy Epler or whatever. And like Tony said, Manny Machado is going to be 32 and older for a majority of whatever contract that he gets from the Mets. So it just makes it look like not bringing in Correa that makes the flexibility of this roster a lot better look even fucking worse. That's nothing about bash Manny Machado. This is an MVP type of player, and I'm sure he's going to be that productive type of player for the next four, five, maybe even six years because he's an incredible hitter and he's an incredible player. The fact that we're just full on pivoting before this season even starts, before even spring training even begins that makes me feel like there are no possible big moves that they got cooking up in the lab whether it's a trade or some big signing or whatever the hell it is it shows me that they are done they said we are done we like this offense they're gonna be great and they're not going to repeat anything that they did last year towards the end of the season that's what i hear when they are pivoting to manny machado that's not anything against Manny Machado. Again, an amazing player. But what the hell are you going to do this year? Plotting out the same lineup that you have right now. And that's not good enough. But as for any possible additions that the Mets can bring in, they are looking to add more power to the lineup. Thank God. Who the hell knows at this point? But they have reportedly been talking to Adam Duvall. Duvall is going into a 34-year-old season coming off a very injury riddled year slashing 213 276 401 with an 87 wrc plus in 315 plate appearances the mets were also in on trey mancini before he signed a two-year deal with the cubs now another name that did pop up as obviously alex verduga is a possible trade candidate but uh that has not really been full-on confirmed right now but it looks like they might be looking to move him hey, adam duvall he's a guy that i talked about two years ago. So, I mean, I, I just don't understand like this. We want to talk about typical Mets. This is typical Mets. Getting a guy past their prime, 
past when you should have got them when they are not the same player anymore. So Duvall is two years older than when he was good. He had all those RBIs. He had that magical postseason run to the Atlanta Braves and helped them win the World Series. Now the man's body is broken. He's coming off of, you know, these massive injuries that he wasn't able to finish the second half of the season. And he, even when he was healthy this past season, wasn't very good. And I'm a Duval fan. I'll admit that he wasn't good. So a guy who was bad, old, and broken, that makes sense. Let's get him to line up. That will solve our problems. Now we'll be able to take on the Padres in a short series. Now we have that protection behind P. Alonso. Again, it, it, we could just keep going back to the Korea thing. Like you said, right, Duvall, he's nowhere close to Correa. I mean, he's just so far off from what Carlos Correa could do. Because, again, once you get to that age, once you're 34, you're just getting worse and worse. And if you're not healthy, you're coming off of an injury, you're just getting worse. So, like, what can you even expect out of him? You know, Duvall, he's had his home run numbers in the past, but that doesn't mean he's going to be that guy anymore, not even close to that guy anymore. So, I just think that right now is not the time. I, I just I'm so tired of it. If I wanted to take a flyer on somebody, it would have been Mancini, who was a few years younger and finished the year healthy. It wouldn't be a guy who, you know, he had the Atlanta magic. I mean, you know how that goes. Uh, can you imagine a guy who's really good for the Braves all of a sudden comes to the Mets and be a good Met? When has that ever happened? Never. So, I mean, it, it just it doesn't line up. I mean, there's just nowhere that I could see, oh yeah, this makes sense. It just has, like, so many red flags that I don't know why they would even do this. Uh, just looking at Adam Duvall for what I think his role would be with the team, I can get on board with it. Like, as that bench piece, replacing Darren Ruff, I can get on board with that. I mean, it's better than Darren Ruff. It is. I think it's better than Daniel Vogelback in some aspects. But there's just no way that we're ever going to feel happy with – Anything the Mets do at this point, given what transpired with Correa. And unfortunately, we can't look at it through that lens. We do need to look at it like, hey, this team was fifth in run scoring last year, even though they had their struggles down the stretch and in the playoffs. But I do believe if Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez do emerge on the scene and they added a few ancillary pieces to fix this bench, a.k.a. get rid of Darren Ruff and bring in a guy that can maybe pop 20 to 25 home runs, they could be good, but unfortunately, like Frank said, that guy was probably Trey Mancini, and he's gone now. So there's not a lot of options out there. There's no trade out there. I heard the Mets were thinking about getting involved in the Brian Reynolds sweepstakes all of a sudden. Are you kidding me? The Mets would actually trade this ridiculous cost to try to acquire Reynolds, who doesn't even really fit this roster? Unfortunately, Trey Mancini is off the board. And there's just not a lot of options right now. Adam Duvall, yeah, in a vacuum, I would take him over having Darren Ruff on this team or on this bench. But it's still probably not going to be enough to really appease Mets fans. Why? Like, that that's all I really have to ask is, like, why? This? This is what you're pivoting to? I mean, I understand that there's the possible on the trade market, but we're not hearing that yet. But... Adam Duvall, this is it. This is the best that we can do right here. A guy who strikes out a shit ton, not the best high leverage hitter because he's just, you know, whiff or barrel, barrel type of uh, Joey Gallo types. This is the best we can do going into a 34-year-old season. So, like, the fall-off gap from not getting Correa again is just horrible. 
it is disgusting. I, I, w I would just let him just pass my mind completely. That's, that's literally it. I would not even try to even look at Adam Duvall and I'd go right to the trade market. Because at this point, I'm not taking any more bets on, on players who, who are injured or are healthy and Oh, well, they hit home runs three years ago. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not doing something like that. And he's just one of those frustrating JD Davis type of hitters who piss me off. And that's not somebody that I'm 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 looking to to pursue at all. Again, like Tony said, if he's replacing Darren Ruff, so be it. But he's replacing most likely your biggest power protection behind Alonzo. Maybe he's replacing a Mark Canna in this this situation. That's what you're looking at right now of him being one of the top contributors. It's either you go to the trade market at this point or you just sign Adam Duvall and hope that he has an ounce of what he was doing in 2021. This guy was on my free agents to avoid list months ago. And there's a reason why, because I don't believe that he is going to produce on a team like this that is so desperate for power, he cannot be the main guy. This goes into the level of Darren Ruff type of protection, the level of Daniel Vogelbach type of protection, probably the level of Mark Vientos right now, because he hasn't shown anything yet at the major league level. You have to go on the trade market right now. If you actually want to add a bat, and if you are what Steve Cohen is saying, we need one more bat. We need one more piece. Like, the, you know, Correa, I'm going to the trade market right now because anybody on this free agent market, most of these guys that could be power protection bats on the free agent market are spring training invites. That's it. I, I think um, it, it just goes more so that like we talk about with, you know, okay, maybe Duvall replaces Canada. Maybe Duvall does this. But it's just like we talked about like, it wasn't so much that you signed Correa, he plays third. It was also, okay, maybe you move Beatty to left field. Maybe Escobar becomes a DH. It was just like you just had so many more things that you were able to move around that now you can't do any of them. So it's like now you're stuck with ba with Beatty in one spot. You're stuck with Escobar in one spot. Like th this just it was more than just like the, the Correa bat versus the Duval bat. It was like the other three things that could happen because if Canna gets hurt, if Cannon regresses, okay, I can't move uh, Beatty to left field anymore because I need Beatty to play third base. So it's just like if Escobar gets hurt, I, I don't have another option. Beatty's got to play third. So it's just like they just really hurt themselves by a guy who helped them in so many different areas not getting him and so late in the offseason where there's like nobody left to replace him because – you know what, Trey Turner and these other big-time bats, Aaron Judge, these big-time bats, these guys aren't out there anymore. Xander Bogarts, throw out whoever you want. They're not here anymore. When you get this late, it was Correa or bust. And right now, I mean, you look at, look at the guys we're talking about. This is a bust. You know, I said it. I'll keep saying it. I'm pissed off. And I'm pissed off because of these Mets fans that are like, oh, well, when Steve Cohen doesn't get what he wants, he goes on a rampage and he gets pissed off. Don't piss off Steve Cohen. What is he going to do? He's going to force another team to trade a player to the Mets? That's not how this works. There's no big star out there that the Mets are just going to trade for to replace Carlos Correa. And even if he was available, the Mets have shown reluctance to trade any of their big pieces like Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez, who also, by the way, are figuring to be a big part of this team right now. So what exactly, and I'm sorry, I'm going to call him out. I have a feeling the Mets are going to make a big trade before opening day. What? With who? What team and what player? Because that person does not exist right now. And the Mets are not going to be able to pull off a trade like that just because Steve Cohen is pissed off. Free agency's over. 
The trade deadline does not ex- or the trade market does not exist right now. Now, as for other bats that the Mets were interested in, there was Andrew McCutcheon, but he obviously went back to the Pirates, and now the Mets are reportedly considering Tommy Pham as a possible fourth outfielder. Pham is now 35 years old, coming off a split year in Cincinnati and Boston, slashing 236, 312, 374 with an 89 WRC plus and 622 plate appearances. Pham's known specialty is his bat against lefties, where he posted a 115 WRC plus last season. Uh, I will go to my grave saying this. If it's replacing Darren Ruff, then okay. But I am really setting the bar low here. Um, Tommy Pham's only other good quality is that he smacked Jock Peterson's ugly fat face. I kind of like that. Uh, Other than that, yeah, this is underwhelming. 34 years old, only really hits well against lefties. Yes, it's a need, but this isn't going to be what puts this Mets offense over the top. Like, not every move needs to be a superstar player. I understand that, but we're getting older we're just going to keep adding guys in their mid thirties. Is that the plan here? Guys that are pretty one dimensional. Like this is there, there were a lot of opportunities out there offensively that the Mets bypassed and it's uh, it's going to, I think really rear its ugly head throughout the season. We've talked about some not great players. We've talked about some kind of bums that the Mets have been interested in. This one's pretty high up there with like of guys that I have the least amount of interest to be a part of this team. We talked about what do the Mets need? Power. Even Tommy Pham on his best days when he was in Tampa Bay, I always thought he was such an underrated player. He was never a power bat. Like now he sucks completely. Like he doesn't do anything well anymore. He just doesn't fit at all. Like at least Duvall and Torrance, or at least he hits some home runs. Tommy Pham never did that. He's he's just a guy that he's been nothing but problems wherever he's gone. He gets moved constantly. You always hear bad stories about him arguing with Tatis. He just just always finds a way to just always bring bad news. Wherever he goes, he's just not – wherever he does, he just doesn't do good things. And it's like, okay, he was decent against lefties. I'm supposed to get excited over a 784 OPS, and he hit six home runs. Again, we don't just need someone who can hit the ball against lefties. We need somebody for power against lefties. Six home runs against lefties ain't it. Not going to get the job done. Like And again, like we talked about Duvall, the man's going to be 35 now. He's just not – he's getting worse and worse and worse. Like, I just don't understand it. Like, we talked about – we didn't understand the Darren Ruff move in the first place with a guy who's old as he is, best years were in another country. Like, why – and you saw how that turned out. You see how that turns out all over the sport. Why do you keep targeting these guys that are so old and, and just way past their prime and just don't have it anymore? Like, why are we looking at these guys that are just not going to get the job done? Like, I mean, did, didn't you learn from your mistake that this isn't what you need? You need guys that have upside. You need guys who are younger that actually, you know, have some athleticism, have some power in their bodies. These old broken down guys are constantly getting hurt. It's just not the way to go. I mean, I, I don't see the top contenders interested in Tommy Pham. I don't see the top contenders interested in Adam Duvall. Why is it only the Mets? Why is it that, you know, McCutcheon and, I mean, these guys, they're going to scrubs. They're going to bad teams. I mean, why don't you go after the players that the good teams go after? Or they don't need to because 
they already have young players on their team that they developed who are really good and they don't need to get all these old men. I mean, this is just ridiculous right now. I mean, at this point, they're going to end up signing me if you like old people so much. I mean, I just don't get it. They've just done that with everything. They've done it with the pitching, too. You look at Verlander and all these other guys. I mean, Carrasco, they're holding on to him. All these guys are just so far past their prime that are just waiting to be on the injured list. So you have these guys that are just so high risk to be on the injured list, yet you don't get any depth. You don't get any replacements so that when these old guys do get hurt, you're going to Long Island Ducks and bankers and all these other things that are not baseball players. Those are going to be your options when these guys all get hurt because you signed a bunch of senior citizens. Just ridiculous. I mean, this one, again, we've talked about a lot of bad guys in SFN here, Ishton. Of all the people, this is one of my least guys that I would want the most. I, I just I don't want him. I just think he does not help. For some kind of specialty, I'm sure Tommy Pham would fit into some contending roster. Sure. Lefty killer, fine defense in the corners, whatever. He's a dick. He's a, he's a dick. Like, what, what else am I going to say? He's an absolute asshole. Like, you want to talk about the camaraderie in the, in the, in the clubhouse, and you want to talk about um, guys who get along all the time and trying to prevent these uh, choking matches between Jeff McNeil and, and Francisco Lindor, this is not the guy to put in here at all. Can I actually trust this guy to like behave himself for 162 games? They think that this next bat that they get is a fourth outfielder that's also the only bat that they get. This guy's going to be our fourth outfielder, and he is going to be our DH and our power protection. Like That's what I'm seeing. They're They're trying to Roll that up in one. If you're trying to do that, Trey Mancini was probably the best way to do that. Sure, he could be a fourth outfielder. Sure, whatever. We need a fourth outfielder. Our fourth outfielder currently is our second baseman. And then our fifth-ish outfielder is Khalil Lee, who we all know that has not proven that he can hit at the, at the major league level whatsoever. And at this point, at his best, Tommy Pham is just going to blend in. He's just going to blend in at this point. And maybe these are the guys that they actually like, and they want to continue to bring in all these leadoff hitters and table setters and guys like that. But he's going into a 35-year-old season. You're continuing to bank on all of these guys staying healthy. And we always talk about this, of these guys getting older and being more vulnerable to injury. This is just going to continue to add, add to that entire situation. And once again, I'm going to say it, if you want a bat that can somewhat contribute to this line to this lineup or somewhat contribute to this roster and make this a better lineup than it was last year, that once again, one hit in an elimination game, you have to go on the trade market. You have no other choice. And maybe it's possible that they're cooking something up right now and maybe they're trying to get somebody, but it's the middle of January. Teams are going to see that you're desperate at this point and they're going to ask for a lot which we all know that the Mets don't want to give up a lot. They don't want to give up a prospect or two. I'm glad that the Mets got their bats out early last offseason, but doing it this late to make it a little bit different, it's not the way to go either.
For the Mets' number one overall prospect and number one overall prospect in all of baseball, Francisco Alvarez spoke with Cesar Ramos on his outlook for 2023. Alvarez stated the following, I'm 100% sure that I will be on the Mets' opening day roster. My goal is to win a World Series with the Mets. My defense is ready for the major leagues. What the Mets asked me to do is to improve my English so I can communicate with the entire pitching staff. Alvarez was called up toward the end of the season last year as the 20-year-old phenom prospect destroyed double a and triple a slashing 255 375 511 with a 139 wrc plus with 27 homers and driving in 78 in 495 plate appearances the mets currently have three catchers on their current 40-man roster being tomas nito omar narvaez and francisco Alvarez. I, I still am not a fan of them signing Omar Narvaez. I, I think that Francisco Alvarez is just really important to this team. And signing Narvaez just makes it harder for Alvarez to succeed. Because I, I've said it a million times, but the the real appeal of Alvarez is the fact that you have a catcher who's a great hitter, which is something the Mets have not had since Piazza. I mean, Laduca had you know a year, but really, you're looking at Piazza last time, Mets had a really good offensive catcher. But if you sign Arvaez, Alvarez is not going to be your catcher. So you could have Alvarez DH. Okay, great. You fix your hole at DH. You fix that hole. But guess what? You still have a hole at catcher. So no matter where you put him, you still have a problem in this lineup. And I just think that the only thing that should, in theory, be holding Alvarez back from being the starting catcher is defense and working with the pitchers and things like that. You can't do that if you're the DH. He won't be able to improve his defense. He won't be able to improve his rapport with the starting pitchers, the Scherzer, the Verlander, the Sanga, whoever you want to mention. I just don't understand, like, how the Mets are going to get all those things done at the same time. So how is he going to make the opening day roster, improve defensively, and improve his relationship with the pitchers if you have two catchers? I don't – how do all those things happen at once? So then if you put him in the minor leagues, he could work on his I, – I guess he could work on his English wherever he is. I don't really care, but – he could work on his defense in the minor leagues, I suppose. But then you have a line, you have a hole at catcher, and you have a hole at DH in the lineup. So I, I like for me, I feel confident in Alvarez. Whenever he gets his full time playing time, I think he's going to do really well wherever it is, whether it's catcher or it's DH. I think he should be catching because I mean, who's kidding who at this point? You know what? Uh, I think that Nervaez. I don't think I would have done that. I would not have given a two year deal to a catcher when I already had Tomas Nito. And Alvarez is my future. I just don't – if Narvaez was better offensively, if he was that all-star that he was in 2021 all the time, fine. Okay, maybe. But I just think that they're – no matter what, they're going to have a hole somewhere If with the way they've handled a bat. Like we've talked about, if you actually had gotten a DH and then you had Alvarez catching, you'd be fine. Or like we said before, you had Correa and Beatty and Escobar. Okay, DH is covering and you have Alvarez catching. But again, it's just like – that's what we've talked about. You without pulling off that deal, you just create all these other holes elsewhere to where now Alvarez can't catch. Now Alvarez has to DH because you didn't sign Correa. So you could just see that like everywhere on the field, they hurt themselves because of the way they went about. hundred percent. I'll just echo what Frank said, uh, signing, signing Narvaez and then not signing Correa really pigeonholes this team. And it's even more amplified by having in my opinion two very useless people on the bench i'm gonna keep going back to it but darren ruff and daniel vogelback will never see the field ruff and vientos 
And Vientos, don't forget him. I mean, the options, the, the defensive flexibility is uh, that of a very old man, okay? There is no ability to, like, mix and match this team the way you see a lot of the really good teams do. Like, and I'll always harken back to it, the Dodgers have done over the last six, seven years, where you basically have Max Muncy playing at any of the infield positions other than shortstop and even maybe in the outfield. Same with Chris Taylor. Before that, with Cody Bellinger. Um, you know, even had it with, uh, I think it was Austin Barnes who they had for a while that could mix and match out of the catcher position. The Mets don't have that with anyone because Narvaez is a catcher only. Nito is a catcher only. They're both on major league contracts. Meanwhile, they're unsure about the defensive ability of Francisco Alvarez, regardless of what he says. And they really don't have any options now. And if you do in fact, keep Darren Ruff and keep, um, uh, Daniel Vogelback on this roster. Those are two bench guys that literally will never see the field except in an emergency with Darren Ruff, which you pray you never have to see that guy play the outfield or first base because he just flat out sucks. Okay. He sucks in every aspect of the game. So yeah, it's pretty frustrating that they may have no choice, but at some point to bring Alvarez is bad up, but then you have two catchers who only play catcher in Narvaez and Nito, and then you have Alvarez, who I guess is your DH. It's just not exactly a great um, plan as far as defensive flexibility in a bench. The only thought that this gives me, and, you know, who knows if Alvarez is telling the truth here that he will 100% be on this roster, and the Mets full-on put full faith in him of him as, you know, a full-on full-time catcher or, you know, getting... Uh, you know, half and half playing time. But the only thing that I see is that, you know, like maybe Nito starts in AAA. Like that, that's literally all I see is that if they're actually putting in actual confidence into Francisco Alvarez and saying that he is going to be getting most of the catching duties, I feel like it's either Nito starts in AAA, they look for a trade for Nito, they do something. It doesn't look like they're going to do that because Nito is very liked within the organization from a lot of these pitchers or whatever, even though a lot of those pitchers are gone right now. I love the confidence from the kid. I do. He's, what, 21 years old now? I mean, this a catcher. is a tough position to play. So I love the confidence from the kid. I think it's, it's, it's great, but I just, I don't know how they're going to configure this roster because there's still so many things that they have to do for whether it changes from being a different roster or you know, on this bench and all of these types of uh, possibilities. I just don't know what the hell they're going to do. I personally think that when you have the top prospect in baseball who thinks he's ready, let him prove it. Let him be the catcher. Let the third baseman prospect be the third baseman because you don't have any other fucking choices right now. So, and then maybe address the DH and free agency. Do something like that, you know, like a Trey Mancini, but no, they want to go a little bit, they want to go retro with this and they want to go in a, in a different different direction and make it even harder on themselves because they don't like to bite the bullet of all of these moves that were bad moves and they like to ride it out as much as they can. Example, Robinson Cano. We knew that that dude needed to go before the season even fucking started and they got rid of him way too late, way too late. And they banked on that dude 
be in the everyday DH. This team has just become so stubborn to give up any asset at this point. Personally, I think it took them way too long to get rid of James McCann. I would have got rid of him at the fucking trade deadline for a bag of cookies at this point. They just seem so stubborn in this way that I just feel like prospects that need everyday reps. They always do. They need those everyday reps to develop into good MLB players. We're still seeing some guys on this roster who either they're a liability or they're just completely blocking them out of this role. I don't know what the hell they're going to do with Alvarez. I don't want him being a, just a bat. I don't at all. I don't think that is the best way to develop a catcher. He needs to play every day. He needs to play his position. As for Mark Vientos, he's kind of been brought up like a DH. That's a different story. But like I said, if you actually are trusting in these prospects, someone's got to go. Someone on this roster has got to go. Because like I said, this bench pool, I'll say it again, three infielders, three catchers, and three DHs. And a majority of those guys that I just pointed out are fucking useless. It definitely concerns me in the whole entire subject of actually developing these prospects into good major league players. Because I don't really think with this veteran approach that the Mets have been taking, where they're just so stubborn and just going older and older and older, I do not trust them with the entire process of developing these prospects if they think they're going to be actual pieces that are going to contribute to this roster right away. Entire fallout of Carlos Correa has so many butterfly effects because we kind of all penciled in Brett Beatty as the starting left fielder, or at least to get a lot of reps out there, split some time with Canna till he developed a little bit. And he's been kind of profiling as a left fielder over the last few years. He's gotten reps out there in the Arizona Fall League. He got reps out there last year in double A. And there's a lot of concern that he could stick at third base defensively. So to get what we kind of imagine a ceiling is a 300 average bat, with potential for 25 home runs in left field would have been amazing. Not to mention having obviously Correa, Correa at third base. It would have also allowed for Francisco Alvarez to be the DH and slowly go into the catching position if he showed some development there. But unfortunately, without Correa, it leaves the Mets naked with so many different issues on this offensive front. I just don't know what direction they're going to go in. And at this point, like... We are coming into the counting weeks of spring training, and I don't know what they're going to do with a lot of these guys on this roster that it's like they need to be moved or they need to be figured out what you're going to do with them. And they haven't really done anything with that. We heard our rumors of, oh, Escobar could be moved and Darren Ruff could be moved. They haven't done anything with that yet. TikTok at this point. Like, I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, you can't have a bench of three DHs. That just can't happen. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that maybe it would work if the bats were actually good. But like the one thing those guys are here to do, they're not even good at. So it's just it's literally just a waste. It's a waste of a roster spy in every angle. Like Tony's talking about it. Vogelback is one of those guys who he takes up multiple roster spots just by having him on your roster because you have to pinch run for him. You have to pinch hit for him. He can't play the field. So it's like he's taking up pretty much two roster spots, and that's just not just a fat joke because how big he is, but he's pretty much taking up two roster spots on this team with a bench that isn't very versatile to begin with. And if you are going to carry three catchers, I mean, like we said, you're just talking about defensive versatility. You just don't have it. You really don't. Andrew and I talked about this in uh, the Beatty video about if they can turn to him. They need to let the prospects sink or swim because that's all you got right now. 
That's the only different pieces that you're going to be adding to this lineup right now, what you're looking at. And maybe there's some kind of surprise trade that we don't know about. But what you're looking at right now is your free agency additions to your lineup are your prospects. You like Mark Viento so much, have him DH. You like Brett Beatty so much, let him play third base. You like Francisco Alvarez so much, which you should. How can you not? He's the best prospect in all of baseball. Let him catch. Let the guys sink or swim. Now, this is such a random non-story, but it was so odd that I had to include this. Earlier this offseason, the Mets expressed heavy interest in Trey Turner, but reportedly wanted to sign him to play center field long term. Obviously, that didn't happen as Turner agreed to an 11-year, $300 million contract with the Phillies. This would have almost guaranteed the thought of the Mets allowing Nimmo to walk in free agency. The Mets later on re-signed Nimmo to an eight-year, $162 million contract, and he became the first Mets first-round pick to sign a long-term extension since David Wright back in 20. 12. I have an idea of why they were doing this, but this was just such a very odd story that I had to include it. Yeah, it definitely was really late to come out. I mean, this trade Turner signing happened, I mean, how long ago at this point? I think it's pretty interesting that the Mets even considered it. Uh, me personally, I like Trey Turner more than Brendan Nemo as far as what they could do offensively. I think that Trey Turner fits this lineup a little better than Brendan Nemo does because, like I've always talked about, First pitch, what is Brendan Nimmo looking to do? He's not looking to swing. Trey Turner's looking to swing the bat. He's going to swing some ugly pitches, but he's going to get a ton of hits. And both of them have speed, but Trey Turner's a guy who actually utilizes that speed, actually steals bases, and is not afraid to steal bases because the one time that Nimmo tries, he messes up his hamstring in Milwaukee, and then he has to be taken out of the game. Mark Cannon's day off is ruined, and then Jeff McNeil's killing himself in left field trying to rob Drew Smith, giving him fly balls. So at least with Trey Turner, some of the things are avoided. And we talked about the risk of giving Brandon Nimmo an eight-year deal. A guy who's had a million injuries since he's been a Met. It seems like every year it's always something. I say he won't even he won't even attempt to steal bases because of how brittle he is. But they didn't sign Cray to six years. Meanwhile, Trey Turner's a guy that pretty healthy, played 160 games last year. So I think it's up to me. I prefer Trey Turner. He's not traditionally a center fielder. It would be kind of weird, but. At least it'd be something different for this lineup. You know, I mean, this is a guy that he would add something different to this lineup because I, I think that with Nemo, we have other guys that get on base at a really high level, but we don't have a lot of guys that actually swing the bats. So if I have Trey Turner with guys on base, at least Trey Turner's going to swing the bat, try to bring in those runs, not just throw walks. Uh, we talked about it so much, but you know what? The Mets, they had a pretty good offense during the regular season. They scored some runs, but when you face the elite pitching, walks and singles will only get you so far. It's hard to string together base runner after base runner after base runner against elite pitching. You need to get those a couple big swings that get multiple runs all at once. So I just think that Trey Turner would fit this line a little better than Brandon Nimmo. Obviously, it's too late now. You know, Nimmo's back with us. Trey's in Philly was going to be very annoying to face again back in our division. So I'm not looking forward to that at all. He's going to run wild on the Mets. So uh, it, it's just the timing is probably the most weird thing of it. At least the Mets considered it, but it's too late now. I mean, Trey's in Philly. We have Nemo for eight years, and we'll see if it ends up being worth it. Uh, yeah, I mean, getting Trey Turner probably would have been an upgrade over Brandon Nemo, not including what changes defensively it would have meant for, you know, Turner playing center field for really the first time in his major league career. I think he might have been able to do it. But, you know, honestly, even just looking at them offensively, yes, Trey Turner is a better hitter and offensive player than Brandon Nemo is. 
But, I mean, this, again, just goes back to the Mets' reluctance to improve the entire offense, the entire lineup. Like, it would have been a marginal upgrade. I don't think it would have been enough for us to be like, oh, well, Trey Turner, you know, the Mets' offense is better and going to be fine next year. Like, yes, an upgrade, but you also would have been losing Brandon Nimmo. So, like, to me, there were still so many other moves that could have been made to fix this lineup that they haven't made and at this point don't look like they're going to make that honestly it kind of would have been a wash to me like would have been a better offense yes but let's not forget how important Brandon Nimmo is to this offense and has been for the last number of years so for me like you know who really knows it doesn't matter because like it didn't happen but you know at the end of the day they did not do enough to improve other aspects of this lineup where Trey Turner would have been a vast upgrade in my opinion they still would have been flawed if you just are simply changing Nimmo's name out for Turner still would have been a flawed offense still would have been a flawed lineup at this point All right, well this might be somewhat of a hot take but I don't really think that's an upgrade from Nimmo I think that Nimmo is the better hitter do I think Trey Turner is the better player yes the first conclusion that I saw with this whole entire story because it was so weird i think it just showed like the lack of backup plans that the mets had if they did not bring back nimmo you know you had cody bellinger out there you had you know all these other guys you know good place center field if they didn't get nimmo they were going to be in deep shit of getting into a bidding war for trey turner or this and that as for trey turner into this lineup i think that they have a little bit more than they think they do of trey turner in this lineup right now than they do i think that Starling Marte is a little bit, he's hes very similar to Trey Turner, in my opinion, but older. I'm just going to tell you right now, like, the double leadoff hitters between Nimmo and Marte, I don't really think that would have changed that much with putting Turner and, Mar Turner and Marte and Nimmo and Marte. Trey Turner is a fantastic player, and I think that the Phillies did a good job. They jumped on a, on a shortstop that they needed. Giving all that money, especially what he got from the Phillies, for a guy who's to play center field that he has not played yet. I don't know if that was the smart decision. I probably would have signed him to play second base. That's a different story. But obviously he was not going to get paid like a second baseman. Yeah, um, and I actually just building off of that, I think you bring up a great point that the, the Mets, you know, you could fault them for maybe not having a good backup plan or for a lack of a backup plan. But let's be real. I mean, MLB Network has Brandon Nimmo ranked as what, like the third or fourth best center fielder in the game. So, you know, honestly, you really couldn't do a whole lot better. I think the only names in front of him are Mike Trout. And off the top of my head, I really can't think. I know there's probably two more guys out there that we'd rather have, but they're probably long term locked up with whatever team they're with. So, I had no – the Mets got Brandon Nimmo. We're not going to apologize for that. I'm happy he's back. Trey Turner would have been an experiment putting him in center field. I think he would have been successful. But there's nothing wrong with the Mets bringing Nimmo back, who I think is a pretty equivalent offensive profile to Trey Turner. I give Turner the edge. But, again, who else were you going to go out there and get that would replace Brandon Nimmo? I mean, as a surefire thing. There's no center fielder like that on the market there was no center fielder like that via trade. I'm happy that he's back. I'm not going to complain about it. Let's get into some viewer questions that you guys sent in to us. For those of you who want to submit a question, make sure to click the link in the description, fill out your name, question, and it could be answered on the next episode of the Mets Weekly 
podcast. The first one comes from Jeff McSquirrel, dorky ass name. Which player has the most to prove in 2023? We're getting close to spring training. So, you know, this is this is definitely maybe a question that's a bigger topic, but this is an easy one because all the people on Twitter don't need Correa. We're fine. We got Brett Beatty. Show me. Show me. I've had rhinos tell me about how good this kid is and how he's projected to be. Do it. Let me see it on the big stage, in the big leagues. Put together a great season making. Oh, my gosh, the best moves are the moves you don't make. Oh, the Mets are so smart for not taking the risk on Correa because they just stuck with Brett Bain and he became this amazing third baseman. So since we couldn't get Correa because we'll be totally fine without him, he was just a luxury anyway, Brett Beatty's got the most to prove to me because now it's like, okay, you're not going to do anything else. You're going to leave the same team out there. One of these young guys got to step up. Show me. Yeah, you know what? This one's a little different. I agree with Frank, although I don't think it's self-imposed most to prove. I, I With Beatty, I don't think it's his fault that he has the most to prove. I think the circumstances have dictated that, which is unfortunate. And this goes back to what we both said in the very beginning, Frank and I, is that now not signing Correa, having that whole saga play out, it has put it so much added pressure on Beatty and Alvarez and completely not because of their own doing. I will say Kodai Senga. And the reason I'm gonna say that is because he did get this nice deal and he is coming from Japan where we don't always know how it will translate to the big leagues. We already saw Fangraphs give him a really ugly review and then I think we saw a revised version from Fangraphs or maybe it was a different outlet that was a little more positive. But five years, $75 million deal, opt out after the third year, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he has the most to prove for the Mets because he's going to be a vital part of this rotation. We're being sold that this guy is going to replace Chris Bassett. We're also being told that if the injury bug pops up again for old man Scherzer and old man Verlander, that he may have to step in as their number one pitcher at times throughout this year. So given the contract, given the fact he's coming from a different country, and given the fact that the Mets rotation is a bit fragile, I think Kodai Senga has the most to prove here as a rookie. I think I'm just going to go off of who has the most to prove in spring training, because we're definitely going to be looking at a lot of pieces with uh, most of our main guys, especially on in our infield going to the WBC. You're definitely going to see quite selection of non-everyday players especially throughout that infield. I'm not going to look at any position player. I'm going to go directly to the bullpen being Drew Smith because at this point, kind of the odd man out. You know, you look at some of these arms that they brought in. Personally, at this point, at the level that he was pitching towards the end of the year, and you know how he's just kind of just unraveled and looked to improve stuff and didn't, there's about 10, or 10, 11, 12 guys that they brought in that could possibly take his place in the bullpen. You know, maybe you can prove that you can keep the fucking ball in the ballpark once in a while, not miss a spot once in a while, and maybe, just maybe, he may be the fifth in command for the bullpen. But at this point, I was extremely disappointed as to how he pitched last year. It looked like he was starting to turn a corner, producing this soft contact and producing, bringing in this slider for the cutter and stuff like that. But we're still seeing the same problem. So at this point in spring training, with all these new arms they brought in for possible depth and guys who are younger and have 
have, have a lot of controllable years. He was actually going to be my choice. That's a good one. Uh, I just felt he's kind of irrelevant at this point. So, like, if you get a good year out of him, great. If you don't, he'll be on the chopping block, either sent down if he has options or straight up DFA'd if he's another disaster artist like he was last year. I mean, like, yes, time's ticking on him. And at this point, he's just not as vital to the Mets' success as Sanga. That's why I went with him. But for his own personal career, yes, he has the most to prove, I think. I could agree with that. You need good command to be a strikeout, high leverage type of pitcher. So if you're going to miss spots like you do, continue to do, you're going to be in big trouble. I'm pretty sure Tony had a whole description of, of tons of different uh, examples of this guy fucking up in high leverage and, and giving up backbreaker home runs. I will give him this, like, we do fall on this, uh, like, recency bias or, like, negativity bias, like, where we only remember the bad moments where he did give up the big home runs, like, to Seattle and to San Francisco. He also did have a few big leverage moments, maybe not as big as those letdowns felt, and that's why we I have such a negative feeling toward him. 117 ERA plus, I don't know what you evaluate relievers on that scale. I don't know if it's different from how you evaluate a starting pitcher. Looking at the numbers, they're better than what I remembered from viewing him. So it could be the eye test that's failing me, but he's definitely, you know, been a disappointment in my eyes. If you want to look at every single piece of hard contact this guy's given up, um, and that's something that I like to do, and use the eye test, all you got to do is watch the catcher. That's all you got to do. You just watch the catcher of, of where he sets up, and then Drew Smith right here like that that's every single time this dude just misses a spot that's all he does right and it's always in the most inconvenient pop from mets of america kind of like that name most underrated mets prospects i just did a video about prospects but if i had to do underrated i probably gotta look at it i mean the guy i liked a lot was askew but obviously he got traded for brooks Rayleigh, so he was someone i really had my eyes on but um i feel like it would have to be one of these the pitchers that like i guess probably a ziegler somebody like that he's got some intrigue with some of his secondary pitches because these other guys i feel like we kind of know what they are and the guys they just drafted parada and jeb williams is still is just so so early we don't know quite where they are yet uh, and so I, I think if I had to pick one, it'd probably be Ziegler. I'm I'm really not the person to answer this question because I, although I am, you know, well equipped with knowledge of, you know, the Beatties and Alvarez's Paradas, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not like going deep diving into their top 30 and looking and able to tell you who's an under the radar kind of guy who I will tell you I'm most excited for outside of Beatty and Alvarez now that they've already debuted is Jet Williams. Jet Williams just taken in this year's draft. I'm getting Trey Turner vibes from this guy. They have said this guy is going to be able to change games with his speed. That's something the Mets really haven't had a lot of in the last couple of years. So I'm pretty excited to see what he eventually brings to the table. It's not going to be for a number of years, it doesn't sound like. But interested just to see how he develops and where he eventually carves out his role on this team in the future. Sounds like his position may be a little bit in flux, but... Could be a really interesting name. And like I said, kind of sounds like he's cut from the Trey Turner kind of mold if his bat ends up coming around given his game-changing speed. This one's really tough because there's a few guys that are like 
on the brink of being non-prospects, but they're almost there. There is one guy who had an incredible season last year that nobody's talking about. He was in the Arizona Fall League, Grant Hartwig. He had quite the year last year. The man was completely spotless, incredible running slider, huge guy that knows how to manage contact. That's somebody that I would definitely pick. And he just kind of just bursted on the scene. He went from uh, low A to high A to double A to triple A in one year, blossomed into a fantastic sidearm-ish submarine reliever. So that's definitely somebody that I would talk about. Josh Heshka's kind of fallen down the line a little bit towards their, towards a lot of these prospects and everything. Uh, Mike Vassell is another one. He's definitely had quite the stretch this year. Definitely improved a lot with his repertoire. The most that I am confident in being a possible starting pitcher at this point with Calvin Ziegler, a little bit more of reliever mannerisms than you would expect. And then, you know, you have Dominic Hamill, a lack of depth in his arsenal that we don't know for sure yet. And then Matt Allen, who is Casper the Ghost, and we've never seen anything from this guy. At this point, I don't think that he ever existed. So let me combine the two user questions between who has the most approve on the Mets and one of the more intriguing prospects that you're looking at. So looking at that, those two questions together, Khalil Lee, who the Mets traded for after getting Josh Winkowski in a trade with the Toronto Blue Jays for Steven Matz two years ago. They quickly flipped him in a three-way trade with the Royals and the Red Sox. Winkowski has now made a couple of major league starts with some varying success. Nothing great, but could be that next kind of Trevor Williams guy if he were on this Mets roster right now where he steps in. Meanwhile, Khalil Lee's barely got a cup of coffee with the Mets and has looked completely overwhelmed at the major league level i think it's make or break time for khalil lee what's he going to do is he going to get any time this year with the mlb roster and what's he going to do with it otherwise the dude has precipitously fallen down the mets top prospect rankings he's barely cracking the top 30 at this point he's not even in the top 30 he's gone like he's he's out of the top 30 at this point so he's barely even considered a prospect he's like one of these fringe guys at this point i saw that you know he was in the top 10 Went down to like 23 towards the end after the draft, and then he's not even in their top 30 right now. So yeah, that's a, I mean that's a good answer, obviously. But which sucks is about the outfield depth is that he's probably like the backup emergency right now. So can we make a move, please? That'd be nice. That brings us to the rapid fire stories. Buck Showalter was voted baseball's most handsome manager by Gambling.com. The Mets manager posted a beauty score of 8.65 out of 10. Mets play-by-play -play announcer Gary Cohen has won the 2022 New York Sportscaster of the Year Award. Cohen won the award for the second time in his career, previously winning it back in 2012. Matt Dendecker will not be returning as the Mets minor league outfield and base running coordinator for 2023. Dendecker spent the last two seasons in the Mets organization, but the dark Gage's Mets fans know him as a injury-prone defensive wizard who never panned out at the major league level. J.P. Arensabia has been named the AAA Syracuse Mets bench coach for the 2023 season. J.P. has spent the last few years as a pre- and post-game analyst for the Marlins after playing six years in the big leagues for the Blue Jays, Rangers, and Rays. MLB Network has ranked Edwin Diaz as the best reliever in all of baseball. Diaz had a historic 2022 season, striking out 50.2% of batters and posting a 1.31 earned run average in 62 innings pitched, earning him the richest contract in reliever history with the Mets 
at five years, $102 million. Right-handed reliever William Woods has cleared waivers and was outrighted to AAA. Syracuse Woods was designated for assignment to make room for the re-signing of Adam Adovino last month. The Mets have signed outfielder Tim LaCastro to a minor league contract with an invite to spring training. LaCastro is 30 years old and is considered one of the fastest players in all of baseball, hitting the 99th to 100th percentile in sprint speed every year in the StatCast era. The Mets have re-signed right-handed pitcher Connor Gray to a minor league contract. Gray spent all of 2022 in AAA Syracuse, posting an ERA over six in 104.1 innings pitched. The Mets have officially completed the James McCann trade as they acquire 20-year-old outfielder Luis De La Cruz from the Orioles. De La Cruz spent the last two years in the Dominican Summer League, posting a 116 WRC plus in 195 plate appearances. The Mets and Pete Alonso have avoided arbitration, agreeing to a one-year, $14.5 million contract, the richest arbitration value ever given to a first baseman. Alonzo will be a pending free agent after the 2024 season. The Mets also avoided arbitration with five other players, Jeff Brigham, Luis Guillorme, Eliezer Hernandez, Tomas Nito, and Drew Smith. The only arbitration-eligible player to not reach an agreement is Jeff McNeil. McNeil and the Mets are currently about $1.5 million apart. The Mets' number nine overall prospect, Calvin Ziegler, will pitch for Team Canada in the World Baseball Classic. Ziegler is 20 years old and was the Mets' second round pick in the 2021 MLB draft. Parting words for episode five. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we've said, I've said every single episode. I would just like some kind of resolutions to the bench. Uh, I would like some kind of bat who is under 34 years old. I, I think we need to get back on the Jerkson Profar hype train. I think he's a guy that would solve a lot of different things. He's a better overall offensive player than these other old men. He actually could be a valuable bench player because he plays a lot of different positions. Switch hitter. We talked about the possible regression with Canna. At least Profar could kind of fill in. So I just think that he's the guy they really should be targeting right now. It should not be Tommy Pham. It should not be Duvall. Profar is the guy they should be looking at. I feel like Joey Bosa throwing my helmet down after the Carlos Correa situation. We have to move on. And I uh, hope that's the last we ever talk about it. That being said, like Frank just mentioned, the Mets do need to go out there and make some improvements, whether it's Jerks and Profar, whether it's Adam Duvall, whether it's both or maybe finding something in a trade. It's very limited, though, right now. They cannot go into this season with the lineup as it is currently constructed. Billy, wake up and get to work. They got to do something. That's that's literally they got to make some kind of decision at this point, and the clock is definitely running out as we are weeks away from spring training. I don't know where they go from here, and it looks like the Mets don't know either. Carlos Correa situation hurt on a lot of different aspects, and you know hopefully they find a resolution and hopefully they do it. But I'm not really confident right now. I'm going to tell you right now. For those of you who made it this far, make sure to hit that subscribe button for videos throughout the week. All those links are in the description. You guys know the drill by now. Let's go Mets. We'll see you guys for episode six next week. Do something, figure something out. <laughs>